श्री गौरीवैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय कंतराज श्रीमद् भागवतम की जय खूब प्रेम इवनिंग एवरीवन सो वी डिस्कसिंग फ्रॉम श्रीमद् भागवतम फर्स्ट कैंटो चैप्टर 4 Verse 3 tonight, and in verses 3, 3 through 8, the Guru of Sutta Goswami is both uh, glorified and asked further about by Shonaka. Shonaka is the sage leader amongst Many sages assembled at Naimishirani who are hearing from Sutta Goswami, who heard from Sukadev Goswami when he recited the Bhagavatam to Maharaj Parikshit. So in this chapter, Shonaka has been glorified. And Shonaka has glorified Sutta thus far. So... Yeah, some some history here. Kasmin yuge paritteyam stane vakena hetuna kuta sanchodita krishna katavan sanghita munihi. First, before glorifying and questioning further about the person of Sukadev, he says that uh, he asks a question. Kasmin yuge paritta iyam stane Bhakena Hituna Kuta. He says in, in 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 that which you're speaking to us about, the book that you're speaking to us from, the Bhagavatam. And of course, as we said yesterday, there are many histories of the Bhagavatam. So there's the there's the Bhagavad Purana, there's the Bhagavatam, the Srimad Bhagavatam, the final kind of edited uh, edition of the Bhagavad Purana. There's the Bhagavad spoken in four verses by Krishna to Brahma, by Sankarshan to the Kumaras, by Narada to, by, by Narada to Vyas, um, by um, Sukadev, by Vyas to Sukadev, Sukadev, Vyas schooled Sukadev in the Bhagavatam. Um, so there was a Bhagavatam existing, if you will, before Sugadev spoke the Bhagavatam that Vyas schooled him in. And then there is the Bhagavatam that Sugadev spoke to Prikshit. And then we have the Bhagavatam spoken by Sutta Goswami who heard when Sugadev spoke to Maharaj Prikshit. And the idea here is that it's a fluid kind of a, a book that um, is the essential teachings about the personality of Godhead hmm? that um, is ongoing, a form of revelation that's ongoing, uh, lending itself to new new light and so forth. And these points were emphasized in Prophet's commentary on the first two uh, verses. The need to represent the teaching as it is while presenting it anew in a different way with new insight, new light, and so forth. Something like if we were to take a flower, a flower is a flower is a flower, a lotus, and if you shine light on it, 
it opens. The more light it may open more and open more and open more. So it's the same flower, but it may open. So this is an infinitely opening flower, the flower, the lotus of, of, uh, of Goloka. This is the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam as, as told to us by Sanatana Goswami, another, if you will, edition of the Bhagavatam, the Brihat Bhagavatam Ritam. The great, the implication is essential nectar of Srimad Bhagavatam. And that book, of course, has two parts. One part is uh, a focus on the uh, devotee that in the fullest sense represents the realization that is showcased in Srimad Bhagavatam as the highest theistic uh, possibility, the zenith of spiritual possibility with regard to knowing which turns to loving and intimacy, the personality of Godhead, the Bhagavat. Hmm? This is one part of Srimad Bhagavatam. The second part is about the place that corresponds with that realization. Goloka Mahatmya, it's called. Hmm? So, and of course that place in, in, in Sri Brahma Samhita is described as a great lotus. Hmm? center of which is the Gokul, which is what corresponds with the, the manifestation of that abode on earth. There, without any of the extra parts or as, aspects of Goloka. Hmm? Um, well, I guess Matura is there, Dwarka is there, I shouldn't say that, but there are other... <laughs> it's uh, in, 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 in the Gokul in, in Golok has an Aishvarya aspect to it, um, uh, or it, it has, there, is, there is an Aishvarya version, I should say, of the Gokul in Golok that doesn't manifest here on earth. We're hearing about that to some extent in the Gopal Champu. Now, they're married, there it is, but then we see that they're fond of the, the Parakeet pastimes which are being reenacted. This is where she really, Radha really wants to. To be so. Anyway, so the like a flower, the flower of Golok, hmm, to shed new light on that. The nature of the subject is such that it will always be possible. Praying for that matter is full and ever expanding, ever increasing at the same time. This is one of the wonderful characteristics of Prem, of Radha's Prem, of all kinds of Prem. Hmm. So, um, so now. Having uh, glorified uh, Sutta Goswami, the history of the Bhagavatam that was brought up at the end of the previous chapter, a glorification of the Bhagavatam, a Bhagavat Mahatmya, in brief, came at the end of the previous chapter, then a little bit beginning narrative of the history. So to hear more about that, very instructive such histories are they, uh, uh, Sutta, or Sonoka is inquiring, so in what place... In what period, in what place was this uh, uh, book, the, the Bhagavatam, um, compiled? Uh, where did, uh, here the, the word Krishna is used in the verse, Kutasam Shodita Krishna, Kritavan Samhita Muni. But Krishna here refers to Krishna Dvaipayana, hmm? Vyasa. 
So where, what place, what yuga, what time, what, what's the historical setting with regard to time that, in particular, that uh, and place, that Krishna Dvaipayana Vyas um, got his inspiration to compile the literature. So we'll see that while now further questions are going to come, questions in the context of about Sukadev, in the context of glorifying him, questions about Parikshit Maharaj in the context of glorifying him, the, the balance of the, the chapter when Sutta begins to speak is going to be the history, as I said yesterday, of, of Vyas. This is being asked here. Kind of a history of Vyas's um, contribution to this uh, flow of the Bhagavatam when it was put in literary form and uh, uh, we'll hear in upcoming chapters about the trance that he was able to enter into with the blessings of Narada that gave rise to the vision of Golok and so forth and Samadhi Nanusmrata Bicheshtitam he went into Samadhi and his qualifications for that are given what he saw there and so forth this of course is the is what Jiva Goswami, it's, I should say, one of the hubs around which he has uh, reasoned the Bhagavatam should orbit. One is, of course, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam with regard to the divinity of Krishna, the truth about Krishna, subject that you're interested in and we're going to address again, if you like, while you're here. <clears throat> and... Also, this other hub then, the hub of, well, what is Bhagavatam about? Let's look and see what Vyas experienced in his mystic trance of samadhi that it gave rise to writing the Bhagavatam, which is spoken about in seven verses. Those seven verses will, um, will include mention of the extraordinary position of Sugadev and his hearing of the Bhagavatam, which then brings us to start to answer the questions that are being raised now about Sukadev and about Parikshit Maharaj. So, it's a little bit where we're going. It's important for us here in these discussions to try to get a handle on the book, how it works. We should come away with this with a pattern map in our head, in our minds, as to how the book works, uh, takes some practice, but <laughs> that's the idea. Hmm? So some repetition uh, about the, 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 the way the argument proceeds, the way the answers come, who are the questioners, and so on and so forth, is important. Uh, yeah, if you can do that, it really, you've, you kind of feel it. You've, you've, you're, you're starting to live. There's a possibility of living in the Bhagavatam. So, important. So at any rate, he asked this, and this, was, this will all come up. Um, how we sat on the banks of the Saraswati, and so on and so forth. The great history of Srimad Bhagavatam from Vyas, where it, where it comes into literary form, and the literary accomplishments of Vyas in general. Vyasa means, of course, the compiler, and there are said to be different Vyasas. I mentioned, I believe, the other day, um, that Parashara was a Vyas. That will also come up here. Um, I guess, yes, to some extent, when we speak about the extraordinary birth, 
when Sutta speaks about the extraordinary birth of Vyas, some important points to draw from that and so forth. But he is Krishna Dwaipayan of Vyas. So he's a special Vyas, a special or compiler or editor. Hmm? And um, he's said to be a Shaktyavesha. The, it means empowered with a particular Shakti of Bhagavan Avesh. Means empowered and shakti with a shakti. And this is the shakti of gyan, gyan shakti. So uh, the the knowledge power of the Godhead is embodied in Vyas, whose knowledge is said to be as vast as the sky. Um, all knowledge is to be found in in the Veda. Veda means knowledge of course all knowledge it is quite broad and it is quite deep but it's not broad enough to include every detail about everything and so on and so forth but it's broad enough to encompass all the um, possibilities if you will of material life being fulfilling and to pronounce on them as to their the impossibility of that very wisely, very thoroughly, very comprehensively. Hmm? And so I guess I would say it's broad in that sense and it's very deep in another sense. It takes us in the form of the Bhagavatam, which is his final work, to that uh, lotus of Golok, to the heart of that. So ex- a very, his is a very extraordinary contribution. Vyasa is, of course, the legendary, we can say, author of the sacred texts, now that we have modern systems for uh, understanding history, um, scientific systems, dating systems. I don't know that much about them, but there are various dating systems. You know, you have your carbon dating system, and then you have, they, 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 they have, uh, I guess, literary dating systems by which, by way they look at different languages at different times. And, and the nature of composition at different periods, and they're able to date books and so forth with some objectivity. And this kind of objectivity has brought into question the traditional idea that Vyas compiled all of these books at once. Of course, the traditional idea given in the Bhagavatam is that he was an editor and that he farmed out the task to different people to uh, com- compile the literature and so on and so forth. Um, but the dating on the Bhagavatam, given from the academic perspective, probably is around, what, 4th or 5th or 6th century, something like that, which seems to contradict the the traditional idea. Um, and there are, of course, different ways to, to think about that. It's not something to be uh, bothered about the real thing that Bhaktivinoda Thakur emphasized in, in acknowledging that perhaps the way the academic community thinks about the authorship of the Bhagavatam may be accurate. He didn't necessarily embrace it, but it's, it's possible. It could be a sixth century book. Of course, it's quite interesting that the author cannot be really definitively... Um, Named and uh, um, and and of course we say it has no author in the sense that these are 
a Purusheya, of course you would say, the, someone would say this, well, the Shruti is a Purusheya without human authorship, but the, the Smriti is not. But this is Vedanta Saram, Saram Samudra. It is the essence of the Vedanta. It is a Shruti also. Shruti Saram may come. This is the way the Bhagavatam described itself. Hmm? The essence of the Shruti is, uh, at any rate, we don't know the author, and uh, we don't know who the human author is, and we say, no, at least in the sense that Vyasa, the author, is a non-human author because he's beyond human uh, limitations and so forth. But at any rate, um, it's not a point, and devotees have been tripped by it, troubled by it, and so forth, and Bhakti noticed this is part of his wonderful contribution to, to the modern world. He said, maybe it's true, but um, what, we, what we really should evaluate is what the Bhagavatam you know, says, what its message is, what it speaks to us about, what it has the potential to do to us, where it can take us, and so forth. What it, what, how, how it speaks to us about the nature of uh, truth. Let's get into it for a second. Like you asked me, how do we know this is true? Hmm? Well, uh, there's a lot of different ways to talk about that, but one of the ways that is useful, very useful to us, is that the Bhagavatam makes a point, and the Gita makes this point as well, and the Bhagavatam is kind of a sequel to the Bhagavad Gita. It makes a point. Let me ask you a question. Um, would you like to live without dying and be fully happy at every moment? Would you like to live eternally, never have the fear of dying, never have the fear of old age, never have the fear of disease, and be perfectly happy in such a way that your happiness was increasing at every moment? Sounds like a good idea. I mean, well, what I want to say to you is that this is more or less what people are looking for. People are not looking to die. Hmm? They're looking to live, and they're looking to live happily. Everyone wants to be happy, and the prospect of their happiness ending is not something they really, really want to entertain. Hmm? So, there we are. This is a basic idea of human society. Humans want to be happy. How happy? As happy as they can be. Hmm? They don't want any mitigating factor in there that would uh, you know, be the sand and the salt and the sweet rice or anything like that. They want it sweet and... So everybody wants happiness. Now, and they want it in an enduring way. So if our happiness is based on things that don't endure, then the truth of the matter is we are not going to achieve what we desire through that, right? That's true. Uh, let's take you, you, for example, let's say you have something that really makes you happy, and then... Um, you lose it. That makes you unhappy. So you've, you're happy, your platform, you want enduring happiness, but you've tried to get it in relation to things that don't endure. So this is a recipe for sorrow. You understand? So this is the way that, for the most part, we conduct our lives. We want enduring happiness, but we, we pursue it in relation to things that don't endure. So that's a folly. Hmm? And so the truth is, Truth is that you won't find happiness in relation to things that don't endure. You won't find, in other words, what you're looking for, mm -hmm. what everyone's looking for, 
in the way that everyone's going about it. Hmm? This is the truth of the Bhagavatam. And why is it your truth? You're nodding, you're saying, that's true. That's not a question of believing. I can think about it and I can see it and I have experienced it. I've, things have made me happy and then they were gone or they broke <laughs> and they made me sad. <laughs> so the same thing that made me happy made me sad. Hmm? So I don't, that's not the kind of happiness I'm looking for. That if you turn it one side, it's happiness. If you turn it the other side of the coin, it's sadness. I want heads on both sides of the coin. Hmm? Hmm? So this is the truth. This isn't something to believe in, have faith in. You're experiencing it. And this is the kind of things that the Bhagavatam, that the Gita speak about. They speak about the nature of being and they analyze it. Hmm? From the, from the, based on the theory that, that if you want enduring happiness, you have to find it in yourself, not in things. The best things in life are not things. Hmm? You're not a thing. You are, a thing is objective matter. You are consciousness. That's subjective. Do you understand me? It's a subjective. You can subjectively experience something. I cannot objectively prove it. Hmm? But it's your experience. Experience is the realm of subjectivity and experience is relative only to consciousness, not to matter. Hmm? So the Bhagavatam is that consciousness then, that subjective reality is where we should invest our, our time and our attention and there we'll find happiness that endures. Why? Because consciousness is, is, is fundamental, it's enduring. Things will come and go. Hmm? But consciousness endures. In fact, we can't even, cannot, cannot even talk about the things coming and going without consciousness. As far as truth goes, what's truth? Truth is something that, well, endures. Satyameva jayate. So, uh, all things come and go. Hmm? but we'd say that consciousness doesn't come and go in the sense that you can deny that this isn't real because it does, well, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Hmm? But you cannot deny consciousness. Why? Because it takes consciousness to deny consciousness. Do you understand? That's the truth. So these are truths. Hmm? These are truths. These are basic truths of the Vedanta. And these kind of truths that we experience, that the Bhagavatam opens our eyes to see, and sadhus open our eyes to see what's right in front of us that we could not see, hmm? causes us to have faith then in what they say, even about the things that we cannot see yet, but they tell us if you practice in this way, you will see in due course. So if we, we need to understand the basis of the Bhagavatam, how it speaks about, and the Gita, for example, in our tradition, how it speaks about the nature of the world. It's not something that you just believe this and hope it happens. It's, it's not talking about believing, but about being, the nature of being. Hmm? So, if we can lend our ear to that, then we can learn to see what's right in front of us that we couldn't see previously and change the, our actions, our conduct, 
in such a way that there is possibility at least of achieving what we're all looking for, enduring happiness. Now the nature of that happiness and Krishna and so forth, these are, these are theolo more theological arguments. What I just gave you was a philosophical argument. Now a theological argument, we bring God into the picture. First we just talked about you, your consciousness, and then there's matter and so forth. But those who tell us about the nature of consciousness and matter in such a way that it, wow, it dawns on us, yeah, that makes sense, that's true, okay. Then we should conduct ourselves accordingly and then when we start to move in the world of consciousness, which is what yoga and bhakti is about, we start to get some footing in that realm, then we can start to have experience of the possibilities of consciousness. That's where direct experience of Krishna comes. And how will you know it's true? Well, the short answer is when you have the experience. Hmm? And how will you have the experience? Well, you should act according to what you know with your intelligence is true based on what the sadhus have told you. That Well, you go, yeah, that, yeah I can see what you mean. Hmm? Then you start to move in that realm where there are unseen things, but you start to begin to have eyes to see them because you're no longer looking, for example, in ignorance towards things that don't endure in pursuit of enduring happiness. Hmm? So this is the anyway. This is the, <laughs> I don't know if we've got onto that, but this is the subject of the, the kind, the nature of the discussions in the, the, the texts of Vyasa. And so Bhakti Vinod said, look, "Let's look at the Bhagavatam. What is it really essentially about? Hmm? We don't need to worry about the authorship. It could be written by whomever. Hmm? The idea it's written by Vyas. Vyas means compiler. There, there's also the idea that that sadhus." who did the kind of work of compiling sacred texts and so forth and, and giving these, making this contribution to human society, did not feel that they themselves wrote the book. In other words, they felt they were empowered to write the book, so they would put Vyasa's name on the book. People now will think, well, this is, this is a form of you know, plagiarism or something, or it's, it's, an it's, 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 it's an example of poor conduct, or, but it's actually... Uh, you know, he wrote it, he says Vyas wrote it, that's uh, cheating the people, but, but actually it, it, it could be looked at in another way, it's a sign of their humility. Hmm? And wanting to get out of the way and just say the truth has come through me, it's Vyas's, this is the eternal message of Vyas, I'm not going to have my name on the book. So perhaps the Bhagavatam, we could say, perhaps it's possible, was written by such a person, but who is that person? And that person is the Vyas in a sense. Because this is what Vyas did. He, he, he emptied himself out such that he would be empowered, Abhish, by the Shakti of Gyan to do this kind of work. Uh, so these are, these are very extraordinary books, actually. The Vedanta Sutra, that the Bhagavatam is a natural commentary on. We should understand this is the first attempt in human society at theology. Hmm? Theology means to reason about the ramifications and the implications of revelation. The Veda is a vast body of wisdom. The Upanishads are contained in that, the, the, the end game of that, hmm, that is so important to us, the part that we emphasize and gravitate toward. This is revelation. This is, uh, 
as much as the Christianity has its form of revelation, Islam has its form of revelation, and so forth. But this is a very old form of revelation, and long before the Christians began to theologize in, in Europe, the Catholics in particular, um, Vyas was theologizing in the form of the sutras, in other words, trying to make sense out of Revelation and show the concordance and how thing of, of the Upanishads that apparently different sounds that seem to take one in different directions. He showed they're all in concert, actually, taking us in the same direction. It's a coherent body of knowledge. Revelation, I like to think of as a conversation. It begins with Om, and Om is a reply. It's a yes, it's an affirmation. So we'll ask, what's the question? If from the God it comes, yes. Okay, well, what was the question? And my answer is that we are the question. Human life is a question. Human life is an existential question. What am I? Why am I? These things arise in human life. The birds and the bees are not asking, why am I? They're asking, how am I going to eat? How am I going to sleep, mate, and defend? We're asking, why am I? And we might go hungry thinking about it. Why am I? Why keami kene jarta patroi sanatan prabhu? He asked uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu this. Keami kene. Why am I? Jarta patroi. Why do I have to suffer? I want enduring happiness. We all do. Why I have to suffer? Jarta patroi from the threefold miseries, although I don't, I don't want to. So these, this is the kind of inquiry of human life. Human life is a big question, an existential crisis. Consciousness has come out from underneath the blanket of um, the less complex forms of life where the question of, of self-awareness, self, self self-identification doesn't arise, at least not to the same extent. The animals don't philosophize. Why am I? Well, it could be this. It could be that, you know. No, but we, we do see a development. We do see that consciousness is more developed as we go up the chain. And then there's more of a sense of identity. We can see that the cows, if they can find a way, and they can sometimes, to get out of the, to open the latch and get out, they're very proud. They, they get they get a thrill from that. Hmm? This has been tested. They get a they get a thrill like, hey, that's pretty cool. That was cool, wasn't it? See, how I did that. You know. So anyway, there's some little bit sense of uh, of self-identification, but it, but in human life, this this is really pronounced. Nature has a soul, and it's us. And nature wakes up to that fact. That's what human life is. Nature is waking up to the fact that it has a soul. It had a soul all along because consciousness and matter, the subjective and the objective components, together make up life. Hmm? We are the subject. We are experiencing that which is experienced, matter and so forth. So it had a soul all along, but until the human life came, hmm, which is part of nature, nature didn't know that it had a soul. Hmm? Hmm. So... Whoa, this is a big, big time to be living in, human time, big question and so forth. And that's what these texts are for. They're to help us understand that question. They have no other purpose. Hmm? 
Uh, they may be packaged in cer certain ways and contain different uh, bits of knowledge and cultural artifacts and and uh, and uh, whatnot. Uh, uh, cultural artifacts, insights or whatever from times gone by about previous cultures and so forth. But um, essentially, this is what they're about. They're about catering to um, that 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 question, and the more that that question comes to bear on us, the more we're living in human life. Human life is not for computer games. It's not for that. It's just not going to get you what you want. That's, and that's true. So you ask me, how do I know this is true? You should know that's true. And if you want to be truthful, if you're so interested in the truth, then stop doing things that you know are not in your own interest. That's just ignorance. I want one thing, and I'm doing this, and I know I can't get it from this, but I do it anyway. And then you ask me, how do I know this is truth? Well, I say, why don't you start doing what you know is true first? Hmm? Then higher truths may become accessible to you <laughs> as well. <laughs> Something like that. So anyway, Bhagavatam is there to help us. And then there's the, there's the book Bhagavatam, there's the person Bhagavatam, hmm? who can go after you like this and say, you know, this is why you should read the Bhagavatam, and this is what you should get from it. Because it's a big old book and there are a lot of confusing things in here. And you know, guys have got four heads and a thousand arms and so forth. And so, right, so how to sort all that out? What, is, what does that mean? Why is that being said? What are the implications of that? And so, so you need the person Bhagavatam to help you as well. So Vyasa, we have both the compiler and the person. And, and of course, again, who's the real author? We don't have to get stuck on this point. We can like for our own sake the idea that Vyasa compiled it and, we, and it hasn't been demonstrated otherwise definitively, no problem, or we can say, okay, well, you know, maybe they have some systems that, by which they can scientifically demonstrate to a point that's pretty credible, that the Bhagavatam was written at a later time, and um, you know, maybe, maybe they don't believe the idea that Vyasa is still alive in the Himalayas, and, and so on. That's, that's fine. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, just see what his contribution is hmm? with the modern mind and modern sensibilities. And this was uh, 100 years ago or so. Hmm? when he wrote about the Bhagavatam, when he spoke about the Bhagavatam, and uh, he made these kind of comments. Well, maybe it is like that, but it's not really important to us so much who the author is. We'd love to meet him, <laughs> uh, no doubt, but what he wrote, and maybe there's more than one author, what they wrote, what they put together here. This is, objectively speaking, as far as sacred texts from antiquity, uh, the most comprehensive most theologically rich and philosophically rich text known to human society. Hmm? Mahaprabhu embraced it as his own heart. He said uh, it was the natural commentary on the sutras. Of course, that means that Vyasa wrote the sutras, Vyasa spoke the Bhagavatam. And it very well may be that, that, that again, again, we're seeing authorships at different times and speaking of it and so on and so forth. So the idea that it was written later in this form and so forth, it's, 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 that's not a problem. It could have been copied over the ages and then uh, it would be written in a different type of Sanskrit at different times and so on and so forth and edited and... Uh, and so there is a posthumous editing, I guess, is, uh, <laughs> seems to be allowed um, after, <laughs> after the passing of, of the author. But only by those who are Bhagavatas themselves, so to speak, is the idea. So, so here, at any rate, before um, 
again, the, the glorification and further questions about uh, Sugadev and Parikshit Marj, principal characters in the Bhagavatam, the great story of the Bhagavatam really relates to them. And it's so compelling, that story. I mean, how, and we'll hear it, how Sukadev came to hear the Bhagavatam, then how he recited it, the emperor was going to die, and what, what to do at the time of death. That's, this book is for that, answering that question. Hmm? And that's true, we all have to die. And we're all concerned what to do about it. And if we're not, we should be. Hmm? We should be preoccupied with that. This is what, of course, Yudhisthira said was the most wonderful thing when asked, that everyone's dying, but they act as if it's not me. And they go on pursuing things that are only going to make their dying that much more problematic. Why is dying not a problem? For example, for Sukadev, who spoke the Bhagavatam. Because he's naked. Huh? What does that mean? Naked means he didn't have any desire. He had nothing, and he was comfortable with that. Hmm? He, in other words, if we're attached to something we can't keep, death is taking it away. I'm attached to my friends, my family, my house, my country, and death is coming to take it away. So that, that's a problem. Hmm? So detachment, and of course the way in which he speaks about detachment, and how you can arrive at it through bhakti and so forth, the ego death that this uh, Bhagavatam uh, speak so profoundly about in the context of a a spiritual identity uh, developing. Oh, it's just so powerful. It's in other words, it's one thing to to kill the ego, the enjoying ego. It's another thing to develop a serving ego, a loving ego, from an exploiting identity, a taking identity to a giving identity. This is really the way to comprehensively eradicate the enjoying ego. We could bury it, as I like to say, in the ground, the enjoying ego, but if but it, the ground could shift, it could come back up again. But if we build a temple on top of it and hear a chant, that's never going to come up again, that enjoying ego. This is what the Bhagavatam does. It really obliterates the ego philosophically, the material ego, the material identity, which means the whole pursuit of this enduring happiness in a direction that it'll never be found. It weighs in so heavily on that, and you just have to go, whoa, yeah, that's true. I told the story several times of a younger brother, and he went searching me out at one point. You know, I left home and entered into the forest of Krishna consciousness, never to be found again. <laughs> and so he went searching me out. He came to a, t a temple in Chicago where he lived, and the devotee said, oh, yeah, we know you. He's and so then they talked to him, and he said afterwards, and they told me this, that after they spoke to him basic truths of Krishna consciousness, and they said, it is, as if I had, it is as if I had painted a picture of my life in watercolors, and as you speak, you're throwing water on the picture. Everything I thought I could do and be, and I, I would be happy by that, you made it all fade away as if there's no, there's no hope there. There's no, we have to come to that truth, this is a basic truth, and it's perceivable. We experience it in a micro kind of way every day, practically, on some level. Hmm? And it's the sum and substance of the whole affair. I like to call it a, a, an enduring appetizer 
that never ends up in a full meal. Hmm? There's an appetizer, a carrot, that you'll be fulfilled, you'll, you, you, you'll be secure, hmm? you'll be fulfilled. Um, and this will come to bear on a young man like you, for example, when you get a little older. Now you're concerned about your individuality, right? At your age. And so that'll become a little bit more. And then you're going to be out there and you're going to wonder, like, you know, ain't it funny how it feels when you know that life is real? You know? Sugar Mountain. You know, like, whoa, here I am. I'm a teenager and, like, like how do I, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, I had my mom's breast, you know, I had my mother's cooking, my dad paid the mortgage, you know, and I wanted my individuality, so there's surprise that <laughs> comes with that too. I got to figure it out. Life's heavy. I've got to eat. I've got to work. Hmm? I've got to, you know, what, all these things, will, it's not happening for you yet. <laughs> you live at home, but the more you pursue your individuality, which is fair enough, these things, this is then the existential crisis that I'm talking about, the human life. is. It will come to bear a little bit more as we get a little bit older, usually. Hmm? What am I? Why am I? How does it... Oh, how am I going to make it in life? And, and so on and so forth. And there are ways, of course, the society is prepared to equip us, but if we're deep enough in our thinking about that, if our crisis is profound enough due to previous sangskar and so forth, Nothing will satisfy us. Like I used to sit and think, what will I do with myself? And everything that I thought, that I let my mind go to, I followed it out and I thought, that won't, that ends. That's, that's, I could be this and I would get that, 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 that won't do it. That. So I turned inward. I turned to yoga. I turned to meditation. I turned to spiritual life. And Prabhupada, you know, turned up <laughs> like Sugadeva Goswami. So if we are become sufficiently exhausted, if the crisis becomes big enough, that's really good. We want that existential crisis uh, to, to come to bear. Hmm? That, that, that truth, that ground doesn't shake underneath our feet in a way that, that then we, we, we still be under the illusion that there's some, some, some security hmm? in, in material life because it's a big appetizer. Just do this, just get this, just get that in place, get a relationship. Hmm? Well, that didn't work. Find another one, you know. Um, get a job, get a better job, get another house, move here, there, and so on and so forth. And it's a big appetizer, I say. And if you eat only appetizers, what do you get? Indigestion. You don't get a full meal. Hmm? You don't get satisfied. So Bhagavatam is meant to give us the full meal, and it's and it meant to and do so by turning us on ourselves rather than on the reflection of ourselves. Consciousness hits matter, if you will, and matter starts to dance. Hmm? And then the consciousness looks at the dance and thinks, "Hey, let's let's take let's join the party." Hmm? Matter is moving, and it, consciousness loses sight of the fact that it is the movement behind the matter. It's what matters. I'm what matters, not the movement that I'm causing in a condition which is synonymous to being asleep to myself. I don't, don't think that I'm consciousness, but the fact that I am is what's making material life appear attractive to me, the movement of it and so forth, which says to us that consciousness wants to dance also. 
it's witnessing, but it wants to dance, actually. <laughs> so when it turns on matter and matter starts to dance, then we start doing the dance, but it's, it's like musical chairs, and you know, you don't move fast enough, you're out of the game. <laughs> you know, musical chairs, you know, and then, you get, then the chair is gone, so you gotta die. Hmm? Start over again. So, so to turn ourselves on ourselves, this is the essential message of Bhagavatam. So what a great uh, contribution to human history, and, and so the history of this then suit uh, the Sonika, they, he wants to know what was it that churned up inside of the ass that made him compile this particular work that you have chosen to speak to us about, the very preoccupation with which you have that's causing us to think in a new way, to become interested in a new way. We were gathered for a thousand-year sacrifice to go to heaven. Now we're losing interest in heaven even. And heaven means long life and all kinds of things. Hmm? We thought, maybe that will go there, we live for, for long, oh man, you can't even, calculators don't even you know, calculate that high, so that's great. And the things you can have there, oh, and the repercussions for having things, practically none. So we were thinking of going there. No karmic repercussions, enjoy for long periods of time that from human society may as well be eternal. Imagine if you knew today, I'm going to live for uh, 100,000 years. You'd say, hey, i got some time on my hands here. No, no urgency here. Uh, so it's a relaxed place. All kinds of things and no repercussions for taking from them. And they lost interest in that prospect, which they were seated at Naimisharanya in pursuit of when Sutta began to speak about Bhagavatam. Hmm? They want to know, what is the history of this? This is not an ordinary Vedic text. They have been hearing from other texts, from Ramaharshan. Hmm? They may have maybe had been hearing from Sukadeva, Sutta for some time from other texts. Sutta went, I guess, and heard Bhagavatam, came back. Hmm? He was a new man. And he created in them, by his very presence, a new interest. And so, what is the history of this? Where did this come from? This is, this is the, the full current of divinity, and it churned in the heart of Vyas, we'll hear of his despondence and so forth, and Nard's role. And this is very exciting um, history, uh, the spiritual history. This is the kind of history that Indian society was, was interested in. Hmm? That's why uh, Indian society is very difficult to sort out its it's history from a from a histor historical academic point of view, as we as we do nowadays. Think about history. It wasn't uh, it wasn't written like that. They they had a different. It's kind of a to to arrest the times and talk about the the quality of time and so forth, and and the quality of time that was of a spiritual nature, which 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 had significance to human society, and as much as human society was the opportunity, human life, the opportunity for really solving the, the, the riddle, how to be happy in an enduring way. Hmm? So, their interest here is not idle uh, curiosity. Hmm? And um, now they'll go on, as I say, uh, to speak, we'll talk about tomorrow, about the history of, more about the, the history of the naked boy 16-year-old boy, Sukadev, 
and uh, and you know him as the teacher of the king, the emperor. It's very extraordinary. So we'll stop there. Any question? What's the time? Yes. Yeah, it's uh, so you're talking about the we spoke about the dynamic dynamic nature of the Bhagavatam, how it's there are different versions of it. Um, now we've got it in eighteen thousand verses. So given that, is there any scope for thinking that it could another version of the Bhagavatam could come out? Well, in fact, certainly yes, um, and it did in the form of the Chaitanya Bhagavat, for example. Hmm? which is, because the Bhagavatam is essentially the story of Bhagwan, hmm? the story of the life of Bhagwan, Sri Krishna in particular, and, and of course his avatars, which is, says something about him, who he is, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. And so the life of Krishna is, 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 is nicely detailed. This is really the essence of it, right? Hmm? In, in this form of the Bhagavatam, but if we look deeply into this Bhagavatam, what do we find? Napare om nirabhadisam dutam. You know this verse? So, uh, from Raslila, uh, Krishna is explaining to the gopis that your love outweighs my capacity to reciprocate. This is giving birth to Krishna again hmm? in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, there is a, there's a continuation of the life of the Bhagavat, hmm? Sri Krishna in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, therefore the Chaitanya Bhagavat, written at the Jalangi, hmm, which is the branch of the Saraswati, in Nadia, it has some correspondence with with uh, Badrinath uh, uh, of, of Vyas and so on and so forth. Um, and the author, of course, you know, there's a correspondence, Chaitanya Bhagavat was written by Brindabandas, who's by some accounts, father, we don't know. Vyas was also an illegitimate child. <laughs> Questionable parentage. So these parallels are made, which says something to us very wonderfully also as to who, is, uh, who has the capacity to, to teach and to participate in the uh, essential spiritual truths. It's not just somebody born in a particular Brahmin family, in other words. So that will come up more. But anyway, there's an example of that. Um, will there be more? Something like that. Well, according to the text, we're not expecting another, you know, another sequel. It's still, uh, you know, part three to Krishna Leela's Krishna Leela. Part two is the afterthought. Krishna Lila is Krishna pursuing something. Actually, he wants to showcase his Lila to the world, but in the context of doing it, in the, 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 the Nara Lila, which is the, the full uh, expression of his love life, he runs into some problems with it. And so those problems are, are, require another, another Lila, another avatar, another descent. 
and they're, they, are, they are resolved in Chaitanya Lila. Hmm? So will there be a th- part three? That, according to the text, no, so not in that, that sense. But, and I'll stop with this, then you can ask more. In one sense, the commentaries, the ongoing explanations, and so forth, the supplementary literatures, and so forth, this is all the extended idea of the Bhagavatam. The Goswami's writings are all really what the Bhagavatam is about. The talks like this, it's an ongoing point as living kind of conversation, if you will. I think that was okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the Goswami stars, they wrote so many, they're all completely based on Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? Either they're direct commentaries or they're um, kind of indirect commentaries, I guess you could say, like Priya Bhagavatamrita or Rupa Goswami's Lagu Bhagavatamrita. It's basically saying Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam in an entirely different way than the Brihad Bhagavatamritas and so and so on and, the, and that and then the, the Lila Grantas or the Goswamis they're all coming from basically from Srimad Bhagavatam. So Exactly. Yeah. Not frozen in time. Yes. Yeah, well, I was just thinking if if there weren't new literatures or not a long time before um, the literature that we have becomes immutable. I mean, for example, how many of us can read Bengali well enough to really appreciate Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita? 400 years from now, how readable is Srila Prabhupada's translation going to be? My students weren't able to read Shakespeare. That's only 400-year-old language, and it's really good writing, it's really good storytelling, it's mm-hmm. really profound truths, and they don't get it. Yeah. They, they can't penetrate it. And if we don't, you know, if we don't keep it, you know, especially with English, it's such a, a, a fluid language. Right. Something, I mean, this stuff has to happen. Yeah, yeah. Just from a material point of view, in a sense, yeah. what to speak then from the spiritual side as well. So, yeah, the, these ideas that that uh, in the name of being chased to the tradition and as it is representing and so if that don't allow for this, they are worse than um, you know stagnating, so to speak. They're they're like they're taken in a negative direction because the, because those arguments unfortunately are marshaled uh, against the, the 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 truth of what we're talking about, the need for ongoing revelation. So it's one thing if you want to lock it up and say. This is the only book, and it's another thing if you argue against the extension of it, and, and, you, and you can't understand the extension of it to be an extension of it. It's apparent that you haven't understood the book at all. You're you're going, you're not treading water here. You're going down, and, and they like to think this is the safe position, <laughs> right? Safety. Safety. We'll stick with Prabhupada's book as it was written, the Macmillan edition in 19, you know, 72. That that's the say, that's the as it is edition perfect you know not changed at all, and uh, so this is the safe position, and in the name of that safety so to speak, they are at odds with the very extension of that in various forms, 
which which means aparad, hmm? they're not a, hardly in a safe position. They're going they're going backwards by that, and they're using the book of the guru and the glorification of the guru to to send themselves to hell. So that's why it's so uh, so insidious and deceptive, all in the spiritual tracking trappings. Hmm? and uh, taking one in the opposite direction. This really needs to be, it needs to be either completely avoided or um, attacked, <laughs> you know, responded to re repeatedly, ongoing, and, and to create again a faith, an atmosphere of faith, which Prabhupada brought us into. And, 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 and the, 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 there were some elements that, that, that were potentially capable of eroding the faith that he fenced out, if you will. And those are the same exact essential elements that we're talking about here that need to be fenced out, uprooted, and buried. I mean, his own, some of his own godbrothers, some people from India thought, oh, you can't, you know, he wanted to build a temple in New York, so he wanted to get some money from a Marwari or somebody that he wrote to who was fond of building temples to fund the first, I don't know, it was the first Hindu temple or maybe, or at least the first Gaudiya temple in America and he wanted to buy a certain building in New York and the fellow said, the temple can't be a, a building that was used for something else previously. It has to be bought, it has to be built, you know, and, and if you can, you know, and so that... And, Prabhupada had, you know, obviously hundreds of temples that were retrofitted and so on and so forth, and they worked pretty well, you know, essentially for what. A, so they, 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 they. This was a static idea, rather than a dynamic idea. Some of his gobblers were critical of his writing his books, and and they thought he should have given the books of Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta to us, which didn't resonate with, wouldn't have. I mean, I read those books many, 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 many years ago. On Prabhupada's here, I read Jaiva Dharma, Brihat Bhagavatamrita from Gaudiya Math editions, and it was a nightmare to go. I mean, I, I wanted to get the, read the book and understand it, so, but I mean, it was, we call it Benguish. Benguish. You know, half English, half Bengali. It's like, oh man, it was terrible, you know. Um, most of the translations and so forth. And of course, we couldn't read the original Bengali and uh, so on. So Prabhupada's books were really required. And, and they were speaking to us with modern examples in our times and, and so forth. So they were very compelling. So to cheat the next generation, future generations out of that in the name of 10,000 years, these will be the law books. I mean, this is a statement that Prabhupada maybe made as I recall, in a car with, with Satsarup Maharaj to Satsarup Maharaj in passing, that they want to take some people and make it kind of a hub around which the teachings of Prabhupada revolve. Let's see, how many times did he say that? Once, maybe, according to Satsarup, we'll trust him, Satsarup Maharaj, Prabhupada said it. It's not written anywhere, it's not recorded anywhere, so obviously... It's not a point that he drilled home and emphasized. Hmm? Now let's look and see how many times he emphasized that preaching has to be done according to time and circumstance. Hmm? Mm -hmm. That he wanted his disciples to write books. 
Mm -hmm. The need for a scriptural, ongoing, uh, literary uh, legacy, you know, to be continued and so forth. You look at that, and 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 and, and you, you, then you're going to get get a perspective. How to understand that state? Because how do you understand? My books will be the law books for the next ten thousand years. I like to say, well, they're not the law books now. It's not, you know, Ron Paul's and saying, and it's all here in Srimad Bhagavatam, you know. <laughs> as much of a truthful kind of guy he is in the political arena, these, you know, <laughs> it's not the law book. Next, well, it's the law book for devotees. Well, not for every devotee. There's plenty of devotees and other missions and so forth that don't see Prabhupada's books as the ultimate law books. I mean, they, they think that they're, you know, it's, it's a commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam. It's beautiful, it's important, and, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, and then what to speak, of course, you know, you, you talked about 400 years, you know, 10,000 years. Um, you don't know what will be here. We could hit, I mean, hit, hit, hit by a meteor, you know, uh, you know tomorrow here. So, <laughs> It's a, you know, how do you understand that state? Well, in some fanatical way that ignores statements that are much more important, that emphasized over and over again, that that contradict a fanatical understanding of that statement. Hmm? Because if you take that in the fanatical way they do, then there's no need for other books, any other books, and no Gaudiya books, certainly no other commentary on Gita or Bhagavatam or Chaitanya Charitamrita. That's a, that would be the greatest offense they would think hmm? against the, the law, the central you know focus that these are the books for the next ten thousand years. That you would write a book with the commentary on Bhagavad Gita, and that you'd actually want to see people buy it, knowing that if they bought yours, they might not buy Prabhupada's. How offensive can you get? You know, <laughs> that's how it's thought. Hmm? That's how confused um, people can become. By taking a statement like that that fuels fanaticism if interpreted in a particular way, hmm? and and in doing so ignores the actual teaching. Uh, you know how many times time, place, and circumstance. This is the whole. This is the the the, the whole central um, idea of preaching: proper discrimination, how to present it. What we just read the other day from Prabhupada's purport, new in an interesting way and and so forth. This is this is the requirement. There it is, right in his book. You know, now how are you gonna how, how do you how do you harmonize that with ten thousand years? You ignore that hmm? and make a religion out of something Prabhupada said in passing and who knows what it yes, my books will be the law books for the next ten thousand years. You know? Hyperbole, whatever, you know, I mean it's not you know, it's not something when you want to talk about his writing and the nature of the contribution that that you're going to make the central hub of this is this is no no his contribution is perfect and it's especially perfect according to time and circumstance as he teaches it will be especially perfect according to time and circumstance such as the nature of it it will be perfect in some respects for all time and all circumstance because it has eternal truths in it and so on but the way it's written in consideration of the audience and the time and so forth, it has more power hmm, at that time. And this is what he taught in the book itself. So these kind of ideas are based on not reading the book. It's so ironic. Not reading the book, not understanding the book. Hmm? And, um, you know, they speak loudly, 
they're belligerent type of people and so forth. They intimidate others. And so, but I'm not personally want to be intimidated. So, um, and we should all have courage to rise up against this kind of um, propaganda, all in the name of Prabhupada. You say Jai Prabhupada, and I say, enough with your Jai Prabhupada. Hmm? <laughs> it's hollow, it's empty. Hmm? I can hear what you actually, I can feel what you actually think when you say that. And actually glorifying Prabhupada, actually loving Prabhupada, is to love everyone, to love everything in a wise way and so forth, and understand these points and so forth. So, so yeah, it's an ongoing revelation. This is required. And who are you? And you think you are the one who is an ongoing revealer and so forth? Well, you know, I may say, that I have some revelation, some realization, but that is not a bad thing because I, I know I got grace. This is the point. If I don't say so, Krishnadas said, then what? Hmm? I will not do justice to what happened to me, to how Nityananda blessed me. So I have to say, yes, not proudly, not pr proudly, but with conviction. There's a difference between conviction and pride. Hmm? Conviction actually comes with humility. Where is the humility, here, where is the humility in your judging my motives, Mr. Omniscient? <laughs> you question my ability to have a realization, which is a realization described in the literature. Hmm? Let's say, for example, whatever that might be, whatever level. And we have realizations at every level. Hmm? A realization, an epiphany at every level of our practice. In sadhana bhakti, in bhava bhakti, in prema bhakti, and forever. Hmm? So, uh, if I say I have a revelation, a, real, a realization about a particular aspect of the teaching, let's say about Prabhupada, hmm? um, you, you say, well, I don't believe hmm, that you have that realization. Okay, that's fair enough. I mean, then we can say, well, do you know me? Have you spent any time with me? Then, you, you know, if it's no, then, well, your opinion starts to become less credible. If you, have, if you say, yeah, I know what your realization is, it's nothing. It's in that book that you wrote, and I, and I didn't read it. <laughs> okay. All right, well, you're entitled to your opinion, but it's not got a lot of credibility as you reveal the basis of it we're looking for what is the basis of it? What is the evidence that you use to support that opinion? Hmm? And meanwhile, in the context of doubting that I have a particular realization, hmm, you're in, 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 in implicitly saying that you have a realization, and your realization is what is my motive. You know my heart. Hmm? And you're going to say what it is, and and it happens to differ from other people who know the person, you know. So it's starting to look pretty bad. <laughs> you know, there's reason to doubt hmm, your opinion. In fact, your opinion is is that you're omniscient. You know why you 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 know my, the person's motive. Hmm? 
It's unbecoming, really, to say, I don't think that you really have that realization. Okay, well, you can, you're entirely opinion. But then if you want to go and pronounce on my motive and then give it a very bad motive on top of that, and with no evidence to support it, I mean, what do we, what, this is this kind of, this is the kind of thing that these people get into. <laughs> and it should be exposed. It's, 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 it's absolutely nonsense. Hmm? Yes? And isn't also exactly what Prabhupada fought against? Exactly what Prabhupada fought against. Exactly what they were questioning, Prabhupada's realization. And meanwhile, they're in India. Hmm? And they, it's basically what Prabhupada say. What is that logic, you know? You knew me as a naked baby, you know, so I'm always a naked baby in your eyes, you know. Never mind, I've crossed, come across America. I'm actually the bearer of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's message in such a way that the prophecy that his name will go to every town and village is starting to have scope and, and be realized and so forth. I'm fulfilling the prophecy of Bhakti Vinod that people from all countries will come and dance on this road in Mayapur. Uh, Jai Satchinandan, chanting Jai Satchinandan, Jai Satchinandan. Some of us were there. I was there. Maybe you were there to fulfill that prophecy. And Prabhupada was the instrument and so forth. So, I mean, and you want to doubt his realization and, and dismiss his successes and so on and so forth. This is pure and simple envy. That's all it is. It's pure and simple envy. It's nothing else. It should be called out for what it is because that's exactly what Prabhupada did. Hmm? He said it. They're envious of me. Not all of them. Some of them. Hmm? And then you want to criticize the ones that weren't. He's envious of Prabhupada. What does he know about Prabhupada? Hmm? Prabhupada asked him to come to Mayapur, Sridhar Maharaj. And he, he didn't come. <sighs> what kind of love for Prabhupada does he have? Who cares about that? Hmm? I would do anything for Prabhupada. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, we... All in the name of Prabhupada, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you want to put the, the, the Siksha Guru of Prabhupada in your position and evaluate how you would respond to Prabhupada's suggestion and expect that, that Prabhupada's Siksha Guru would, would respond in the same way. It was an entirely different situation and circumstance. And you don't know what he really thought <laughs> about it and so forth. And you aren't, you aren't, you aren't interested in listening. You know? I mean, this, is, this is belligerent. This is... I'm sorry, yeah, another question? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, Prabhupada would say, uh, let the dogs bark, yeah. that's right. No big deal. I mean, we are, honestly, we should take the high road and just, just keep our encouragement. Yeah. Let, well, it's like we used, to, we used to go sometimes and sit on a college campus and chant, and then people would gather around, you know? And then you'd stop and you'd start to talk. And then that people would question, and there'd always be one guy, one heckler in the crowd, you know. Mm -hmm. So then you'd use him, you know. You'd answer his questions. He wouldn't accept it, but you'd obviously defeat him anyway, and other people would, you'd feel a sense, well, okay, I'm, we're doing good here. Other people are saying, this guy's a fool, his questions have no value, he's attacking me, I'm not attacking back, I'm answering right. So it, it has some value to some extent, it's in some instances. Jai. Grandra Srimad Bhagavatam Jijan. Purivashnav Guru Paramparaki Jan.